Hello and welcome back to another episode of More Than Beauty with Daniel Mason Jones. In today's episode, we are going to talk about a topic that maybe isn't so sexy, or to me it is, but maybe not to you. This is a topic that we've swept under the rug for far too long in the beauty industry, and this is money, finances, and retirement. And I didn't want to come on and talk by myself. I wanted to bring on someone that's an expert. She's amazing. She's a friend of mine, and she is so incredibly gifted. Um, her name is Anna Manukian, and she is a certified financial educator for the beauty industry. Welcome to the show, Anna. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be on with you, Daniel. Oh my gosh, this is going to be so good. And let's talk about the perfect timing. We're two days away from rolling over into 2021. This is the year that we don't know what's ahead of us, but what we do know is we're ready to sweep 2020 under the rug. So thank you for being here with me today. Thank you so much. No, I am super excited to finish out the year. We've survived 2020. So I think that's, you know, something great to celebrate in as well and really take the lessons from 2020, right? There's been quite a few of them and uh, figure out what it is that we want to do in 2021. And so thank you so much for leading the finance conversation as well, because we know that in 2021, we can truly no longer to sweep this topic under the rug. As you said, we've done it for far too long. Far too long. You know, Anna, there have been so many times I would be in classes or venues and I would stand on the stage in the very beginning, I would open it up and I would say to the room, I want you to raise your hand if you've ever attended a retirement party for a beauty professional. And I would look around this big room and I would I would command the entire audience, I'm like, just look around you and there might be one hand up and I would make a quick joke. I might say something like, I guarantee you she married well <laughs> and everybody would chuckle at that, you know, but the reality is inside the beauty industry, very few people have a retirement plan. And this is something I've been so adamant about. About nine years ago, I created a course called Make Money, Not Excuses. And I was teaching hairdressers and beauty professionals how to make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And it was back when quarantine first happened, one of my friends reached out um, and he said, you need to start a course on teaching people how to save money. And I was like, oh, I should, but you know, it's not like my first passion. And lo and behold, here you show up in my life. And I think this is just so incredible that you and I could kind of really partner and do something fun together here and share with so many people in the beauty industry, what the real secrets of success are, how to make the money, how to save the money. And you come with so much wisdom. So if you'll just kind of give the listeners a little bit of a background of, of who you are and what you're doing. Well, thank you. After that introduction, I better not mess this up, Daniel. Thanks so much. Well, I've been in the beauty industry for over two decades. I've you know started doing hair behind the chair. I shortly, uh, about within two years of doing hair behind the chair, I fell in love with in salon education. I worked for Redken for many years. I was head of education for the field for Matrix for many years. And you know, one of the in being really involved with hairdressers from all walks of life, from you know, the absolute top 2% of this industry who make, you know, numerous six figures behind the chair to salons that are struggling to survive and helping them grow their business to beauty school and to beauty school students. And what is it that they need to enter this industry and always being behind the scenes of bringing education to life for major, you know, really successful brands. One of the things that I always really saw as an opportunity is we you know, the industry is really good at teaching people how to make money. You know, there are seminars on coloring, on, you know, on, on cutting, on all, all, everything you can do with hair. There's very few opportunities of, great, now that you've made the money, what can you do with it to make it work for you? And, you know, one of the things that is almost, you know, almost uh, 
corresponding with the industry is most hairstylists when they th talk about numbers the first response is oh nope nope i, I dropped out of math I, I never you know i failed my math classes i don't want to talk about numbers and the reality that i always you know that i always say is you can formulate ounces quarter ounces half ounces go to any mathematician and they're going to look you like wait you can do that and so it's time for us to stop saying that we're no longer good at math get that out of your word or get that out of your mouth this Guess is what? a brilliant industry. You know, not only do we have to have the mathematical skills and formulate the geometry and cutting hair, the chemistry and formulations, and there's things that the common person wouldn't know. And for so long, to your point, our industry, we have belittled ourselves to who we are as artists. And I think that's just a terrible disservice that we do to ourselves. And we're, we're creating limiting beliefs for ourselves. Exactly. We, so many of us in the service industry, you know, come from a, a place of survival. We come from a mentality of survival. We don't come from a, you know, survive, a mentality of thriving, right? Mm -hmm. We come, there's a lot of us that come from, that came from very, very humble beginnings, right? We've had that conversation personally as well. And yeah. when you come from very humble beginnings, it's very hard to um, escape the mentality of poverty, right? And not feeling like you're worthy and not feeling like you can have more and that you deserve more. And so oftentimes we spend our whole careers taking care of everyone else, right? We stay late, we come in early, we skip lunch, and we do it at the cost of not only, you know, our personal health and time, but we also never really save for retirement. We don't pay ourselves first. We insure our cars and our cell phones, but we don't insure our ability to make a living. We don't protect our income. You know, when you look at a doctor, you know, when you look at a celebrity, they, a surgeon will have his hands protected. Yes. Why will the surgeon has, have his hands protected? Because if a surgeon gets into an accident that damages his hands, he no longer has the ability to perform surgery and make money. So he knows enough to make sure that his number one tool is protected. Why don't we do that as hairdressers? And the reality is, is, you know, over 20, you know, over 20 something years in the beauty industry, I've seen so many devastating stories, just as you have of, you know, people that were at the top of their career lose everything because of something that happened, whether it's somebody getting cancer, whether it's somebody getting into a bad car accident, whether it's somebody, you know, falling down the stairs. I mean, things that happen to us just by walks of life and just because your income just because you get sick, just because you have an accident doesn't mean that your income needs to get sick. You know, the other thing is, um, is we happen to be in an industry where it doesn't feel like work. A lot of times we love our clients. They feel like friends. We, you know, we, we know about them more than anybody else does. And the reality is, is that, you know, we focus so much on taking care of others. Once again, we never think of this as a long-term investment in ourselves and actually making sure that we're putting aside money every single month from every single paycheck, from every single client to make sure that if we want to do this at 92, we can, but that we're not working past our 60s unless we really want to. Exactly, the have to factor. And, you know, to your point, having mm -hmm. coached so many people, that's one of the biggest topics that I've coached is you know, people that are in their 20s and 30s, they're still young and they're not thinking, hey, one day I'm going to be in my 60s and my body isn't going to allow me to work at the, the rate that we do now. And uh, they're like, they'll tell me like, I'm exhausted and I didn't save money. Mm -hmm. and I wish I would have met you sooner in my career. So now I feel like we have this tremendous responsibility for people like you and I to reach down into the industry and pull these people up and show them a better way. And you know, there's a lot of people that are coaching out there 
um, that have never walked in, in the beauty industry shoes. And I, it, it saddens me because they're misleading our industry and our industry has already been misled so much. So um, let me ask you, how much money will we need to retire? So, you know, I'm 42 years old now. I, my goal is to retire at 50 or to have the luxury to be able to retire mm -hmm. at 50 years old. And I look at that and I've heard a couple of people tell me, you know, that you need 10 to $12 million. Is that true? Well, it depends on where you are and it depends on how comfortably you want to retire. So typically the average rule of thumb you want to follow is anything you need in retirement is going to be about 20 times your annual income. So whatever you're making a year, multiply that number by 20. <laughs> and that in theory is what you should have for a retirement that, you know, that gives you some cushion to still enjoy your life, right? Have luxuries of the, you know, of your choosing without going crazy. Exactly. And that also, you know, protects you from living uh, past your income, because that's kind of the thing too. When you look at, you know, our responsibility tends to get less and less the older we get. And so when we're younger, when we're in the beginning of our careers, when we're having, you know, we're having babies, we're getting married, we're having partnerships, we're opening businesses, we need to make sure that our income and our, our ability to make money is protected, right? Yeah. So that's when we look at, you know, things like life insurance, things like, you know, key person insurance, things like long-term care are so incredibly important. When we get to, you know, our 50s, our 60s, we want to make sure that we're living off interest yeah. so that anything, the investments that you've made in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s are actually giving you the platform to live off the interest where your money is truly working for you and you're living off of that passive income. And at that point, you know, kind of the, the plan that we need to make sure is that you're protecting your income from taxes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm all, you know, I'm completely by the book. So I'm not saying don't pay taxes by any means, right? That's kind no, of, that kind of have a bad, is. we kind of have a bad, uh, bad image of an industry that way, right? We try to take, you know, to take some of our cash and try to avoid paying taxes. But the reality is, is we shouldn't pay more taxes than we have to. Yeah. And so, you know, our, the, the, you know, differences between, you know, that's why Roth products oftentimes are, you know, so important and so valuable is because you're actually, you know, you're already done paying taxes on them by the time you invest that money. And so understanding differences between tax now programs, tax later, tax advantage programs is super important. I think that's amazing. You know, when I first started, I didn't understand uh, money at all. And, and I would love, you know, I'm going to go ahead and pitch your class. You have a, a big class coming up on January 4th. I feel like everybody needs to take uh, with Salon Centric. It's going to be very powerful. And I hope that you get into your story because people listening right now, you know, the people that may know a little bit about me, or maybe they don't know about you yet, or they do know you, they might look at both of us and say, Hey, they have, they have silver spoons in their mouths. But mm -hmm. what people don't realize is where you and I both came from your mm -hmm. story is incredible. I actually hope um, after you were so kind to share your story with me, I was like, I hope she writes a book one day because it is so incredibly inspiring. Um, oh, and so many people, like I know the young ladies that work inside my company, I have a lot of people that are first or second generation here mm -hmm. in the United States and your story blew my mind. So uh, thank you for sharing that with me and being vulnerable. It was really beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. No, you're stuck with me as well, for sure. And I think, you know, you and I are 
are examples of, of what hard work and and uh, what hard work and perseverance can do. Because you know, you know, I uh, neither one of us came from wealth. Neither one of us came from from parents that passed down wealth. We've had to really establish and really work hard for every single thing that was uh, that was you know that that we've been able to attain. And so I think you know the 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 takeaway for me for that is is there's always a chance to do better. Yes. You know, for somebody that may be just entering the industry that, you know, is listening to this podcast is, oh, my goodness, I wish I knew these things when I got started, because you can be very financially successful for the long term for your career and to really establish generational wealth. Right. Very few of us are fortunate enough to have generational wealth. And if we truly understand how money works, what different products are offered within the financial industry and how we can if we plan smart, use those to our advantage we can be so much farther ahead. And, you know, for those of you that are listening, that are in your fifties, right. That are looking at the next 10 years and saying, Oh my God, what do I need to do? What can I do? You know, there's help for the, for you as well. You know, it's uh, when it comes to money, I mean, the longer you, the longer you're able to save it, the better it is, of course. But even if you have five years, seven years, really knowing where you can put it so that it continues to grow, that it gives you security, that it gives you tax advantages. I mean, just knowing those three things is going to be super helpful for making sure that you have an exit plan. And so that, you know, if you want to be doing your friend's hair when you're 70, you're doing it for pure pleasure and you're not doing it to pay your bills. I love that. And to your point, there were, uh, there's a great book. It's called Start Late, Finish Rich. And it's by David Bach, B-A-C-A. Mm-hmm a great book and um it had some highlights in there of course when i bought this book i was like 26 i was like oh my gosh i'm late to the game <laughs> and i already started saving pretty well um so we're gonna we're gonna talk about a couple of things here so i found a new word today and i wanted to share it with our listeners and it's called aporophobia not agoraphobia aporo <laughs> a-p-o-r-o-phobia and that word is actually someone that has a legitimate fear of poverty or being poor. And I think for me personally, uh, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but because I had grown up the way that I did, I might suffer from that. One of my biggest fears is having to live the way that I did live, you know, watching my parents live mm-hmm. paycheck to paycheck, work, 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 and never really have anything to show for it. And um, that's a legitimate fear <laughs> of mine. Mm-hmm. No, it is. And it's one that's so easy to relate to. I mean, quite honestly, I think, you know, one of the other lessons of 2020 is that most people are so incredibly vulnerable. You know, we were talking earlier about the fact that, you know, how many Americans, right, 50% of Americans were, um, you know, less than a paycheck away from going into from going into bankruptcies in, in some cases or going into severe now bankruptcy is a bit extreme, but going into severe debt, right, of starting to, um, you know, of, of on the verge of losing everything. You know, I think it, what the latest number that I saw was 80 million Americans are facing eviction because this latest pass of, of the three month protection is about to expire. And so when we look at collectively what you know, so much of the gig economy has experienced this year, so much of the industry has experienced this year and how severe of a crisis it has become. I mean, most people, if we weren't scared of being poor, I think most people have, uh, you know, established a bit more of a poor phobia this year, if anything. Um, And so the importance of really looking in you know, the sources of income that we do have and, you know, not only the sources of income that we do have, but how much money can we keep of that income so that, you know, I mean, hopefully this is the only pandemic that we'll live through 
right? This typically happens every, you know, 200 years. So hopefully we've got our check mark and we're good to go. This doesn't okay. happen again in our lifetime. But really, when we look at, uh, you know, when we look at, you know, when we look at what it's taught us and how much it's actually cost us and how much more debt each individual family has gone into, um, okay. it's really time to start understanding how money works, how compound interest works. What do we need to do to manage debt? So that this year is the year that makes us stronger and not the year that, you know, starts our, that kills our whole decade to get us back on our feet. Exactly. You know, and speaking of compound interest, you know, there's probably so many listeners right now that have no clue what that even means. And we had our team meeting in our company here in Atlanta, and um, we were just looking over the financial numbers. We have someone that takes care of that for our, for our team. And we had mm -hmm. contributed for our team $1.9 million in retirement for over the past eight years for the team. I wanted to make sure that as a salon, I didn't wanna be what had been for so long. I wanted mm -hmm. to make sure that when we hired people inside of our company, I wanted to give them health benefits. I wanted to make sure that they had long-term and short-term disability. I wanted to make sure that they had a retirement plan. And we started with a simple IRA and we matched 3% um, interest or 3% to that. And we did that for a while. And then we just recently upgraded to a 401k where we now give them an additional 4%. Um, so we're, we're really trying to make sure that our team can retire. I, I can't hold that, you know, for the whole industry, but I can tell you it's something that I'm so passionate about in my own company to make sure that my team have freedom and that they don't have to worry about so many of the things that a lot of people do worry about. So I want to read a statistic and I want to hear your, um, your thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. So over 50% of Americans have less than $25,000 in their retirement savings right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Here's the scarier part of that. Almost 50% of this statistic are over 55 years old. So essentially 50% of people over 55 years old only have $25,000 in retirement. What does that mean? What would that look like going into, um, if you had to go into a re rehabilitation home or assisted living or anything, what, what would that look like? Well, it's, I mean, it's a scary reality, right? And it's, unfortunately, it's a reality for, for, for many, many Americans. And, um, you know, typically what happens is then, you know, the, if there's any sort of wealth that they have accumulated over a lifetime, when you look at the average cost of, you know, sometimes it's 2000 a day for when you have a nurse, when you have expenses that are paid, I mean, you're really looking at, you know, that can be gone within a couple of weeks. God forbid, if you have a med medical emergency, not proper health insurance coverage, that can be gone within, you know, one hospital stay. And so when, what, what winds up happening is so many Americans then rely on state and government assistance. And so depending on, you know, what state you have, depending what state you're in, depending on what um, kind of benefits you have from the government, um, you know, there's many people are able to get taken care of that way. However, the unfortunate part of that is, you know, the trillions of dollars that this pandemic has also um, cost the government, that is going to come back and we're all going to have to pay for that in taxes in the next decade to two decades to three decades. And so when you look at the shrinking social security base, when you look at the shrinking government programs, you know, while maybe our parents and our grandparents were able to, you know, not have a lot of retirements, but they were able to get by with government help. There's also no guarantee that when it's your turn and it's my turn, that that same level of help is going to be available. And so when you look at the rise of homeless population, when you look at the, the rise of you know, of, of just poverty in the, in, in the elder community. It's a, it's a pretty glim, grim picture 
It is it's pretty is. grim picture. You have mental health um, disorders mm -hmm. that are also climbing and escalating by the day because mm -hmm. there's so much stress on us as mm -hmm. a society. So, um, so just to put things into perspective, you know, if you're listening and you're thinking there's no way I can save this money, maybe you're, you've tripped already off your treadmill at this point <laughs> <laughs> at the gym or you're, you're crying your way to work, whatever this looks like. We're going to put this into perspective for you. Anna and I are, are going to show you what compound interest really looks like. So, you know, the one thing that we can all joke about today is Starbucks coffee. So if you're drinking one Starbucks coffee a day, you know, we've all heard this a million times. It's such a tired analogy, but it's something we can all relate to. So one Starbucks a day is $6 on average, and that's going to end up being around $180 a month. But mm -hmm. over time, and Anna, correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe you even have a way better uh, visual than this, but compound interest, if it's averaging 12% return between, you know, if you start this at the age of 22 uh, and go till you're 60, 65 years old, you're looking at around nine to $10 million in compound interest at $6 a day. Uh, that's something that you're already spending. Why not spend it on yourself? Yeah, so it's interesting how that works, right? One of the things, you know, the way that compound interest works is, um, so I'll give you, I'll tell you two things, right? The first is that we absolutely need to know, and it's not complicated math, but I want you to commit this to memory, is the rule of 72. The rule of 72 uses the rate of return, right? The percentage of the rate of return divided by 72, and that's how long it's going to take you to double your money. So Daniel, give me a number. Um... Oh gosh, like an N number? Like um, 72 divided by something. 72 divided by 12. 72 divided by 12. Oh goodness, now I've got to do some math. So what's 72 divided by 12? Do you have a calculator there? I do, I do. <laughs> um, let me get that going for you here. 72 divided by 12. I'm so sorry. Let's see. Yeah, okay. let's see. That is going to be six. I, I'm right, like, given, given that I'm the finance girl, I want to make sure that I'm not giving you wrong information because that would be almost comical and ironic. So that's six, right? So yeah. in six years, your money is going to double. So if you find an account that is giving you a return of 12%, right? Which we, if you look at annuities, if you look at certain Roth product products, you actually can find something that gives you 12%. That's yeah. a bit generous, but that's, that's, that is achievable. So if you invest $10,000, that $10,000 will be $20,000 in six years. Without adding, right? If you look at, you know, without adding another dollar. And that's the beauty of, again, knowing how to utilize compound interest to your advantage. And that's the beauty of really looking at what, you know, products are available for investments that are going to give you that kind of return, but not, you know, not only give you that kind of return that are going to give you a uh, secure investment as well. Because, you know, one of the things we look at is, or people say, you know, what about Bitcoin? What about the stock market? What about all those, you know, all the things that are like the sexier type of investments? And, yeah. you know, if you've got, if, if you have somebody that's able to help you with that, and if you have money that you're okay losing, because really when you look at something called dollar cost averaging, when you invest a specific amount of money in the market over a long period of time, and if you're consistently investing over a 10 year period, you will make more money. Yes. Right. But that requires some additional finances that you're able to continue to invest, even if, you know, that month, that week, that day, you lose money so that you're not like putting all of your retirement savings on there. You know, things like annuities, things like, you know, Roth products, things that give you really long term uh, solutions, especially that are indexed mm -hmm. so that they rise when the index rises. 
but they don't crash should the market fall. They give you really long-term stability and they give you a long-term climb. So if you have the ability to save money over the next seven years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you can build a really nice amount of wealth that is secure and that is prevented from going down if the stock market goes up or goes down, right? You're continue, you're guaranteed lifetime income with those kinds of products, which is super important to know. So again, the rule of 72, right? 72 divided by whatever percentage you're getting is how long it's going to take you to double your money. Now, what if you have all of your money in a traditional savings account? Mm -hmm. Most of us, right? You might as well be putting it under your mattress. (laughs) It's not going to grow very much. (laughs) It's not going to grow very much. So the typical bank gives you, you know, it's funny. I was looking at high yield accounts yesterday, just like some of the online high yield accounts for that, that give you, you know, you're instantly able to take your cash out and all those things. And, you know, one of the top rated ones gave you half of a percent back. Which is not and that's considered a high yield savings account. And so when you look at, you know, even at a 1%, if you keep all of your money in an account that gives you 1% of return, well, what's one divided by 72? So it'll take you 72 years to double your money. So that's probably not a great investment strategy. You know, the other thing with compound interest, it's just, this is a simple way of doing it. If you have $100, right? Let's say you have a return of 10% to keep the numbers easy. What's 10% of $100? 10 it's $10. Mm-hmm. So year one, you have $100. It's going to earn 10%. You now have $110. Yes. The next year, the 10% is going to be earned on that $110, which is going to give you 111 or it's going to give you $11, right? Then you're going to go that 111 plus that 10, that initial 10%, and it's going to give you more money every year. So the right. interest that you're earning is always on the higher amount. That's when you look at traditional interest, or simple interest, you're looking at $100, 10%, $110. The next year, it's $100 plus 10%. It's $100, $110. $100 plus 10%. So you, while you may be earning interest, you're not losing money. You're not nearly getting a return that you can be exactly. if you're not using compound interest. This is for somebody that's extremely conservative uh, investing. I, I like to be a little bit more aggressive. And I can tell you that... Uh, the year before last, my portfolio performed at 23%. And I was blown away by those numbers. I wasn't expecting that at all. But again, I was more playful with my money because I was 40 years old. And mm-hmm. I knew that retirement was long enough away. And I'm still playing pretty aggressively because the market has done overall, we've, we've had some pretty, pretty hardcore nosedives in the mm-hmm. past year, but it's come back up also, you know, but let's, let's make this more simplified. So just say you wanted to save an extra $15 a day. Mm-hmm. How easy would that be in our industry if all you did, you committed to yourself that you would do one conditioning treatment a day inside the soul? Mm-hmm. I mean, really think about, you know, how much that would be, even if you're working, you know, even if you're working a four-week schedule, right? That's $60 a week, or that's $240 a month. You now have been able to save almost, you know, $3,000 a year. You can get, you know, $3,000 a year over, you know, a 20-year period is going to give you a mil- over close to, you know, close to a million dollars, depending on what time you're starting. And yeah. So, you know, it's really hard to imagine like, oh my God, $15 a day is going to give me what? And what do you mean? But the reality is, is that when you start looking at time and, you know, if you think about like, you know, dropping off a small little snowflakes off a hill, 
yeah. and just letting it collect and letting it roll down and letting it collect and letting it roll down, you know, the higher the mountain that you drop it off, which is essentially the longer the time uh, that it takes to roll down, the bigger of a snowball you're going to have. You're and, you know, wait. utilizing. I have to literally read you the last text message that my mom sent at 530 today. It only takes one snowflake to become a glacier, one raindrop to become a flood, and one snowball to become an avalanche. What will your one be today? That is so oh, funny that. that you just said that. <laughs> I love that. See? See? So, so I, I love serendipitous things like exactly. that. It just means that it's not another affirmation that we're, we're you know, and, and one of the things, too, that I just really want to stress is I spent, you know, 20 years as an executive in the corporate industry, right? And um, it's only been the last few years that I really started looking behind the scenes and really started to learn a lot of this information. And so for anybody that's listening, that's like, oh my God, this is so overwhelming and I don't know where to start. And, you know, just please know that most of the population, I'm not saying most of the industry, most of the population is, you know, I don't want to sound rude, but we are financially illiterate because it benefits the financial industry for us to stay financially illiterate. And yeah. so if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling concerned, if you're feeling worried, just please know that this is why, you know, we're having this conversation is to make sure that, you know, we simplify the information that is available to all of us and that we, you know, I kind of joke, joke and I refer to myself as a finance translator, quite honestly, because so often anytime we try to have a conversation around money, there's so much shame around it. There's so much guilt around it. And, you know, God knows the finance world isn't isn't one that, you know, favors, that favors diversity and isn't one that favors women, right? And so we, a lot of times, you know, I, I joke about going to buy a car and um, I've never looked at directly in the face unless I'm with my husband or unless I'm, even if I'm with a man who is, you know, clearly not my husband. Uh, Lenny Strand, for those of you that know him, him oh, and I went to, I love Lenny. <laughs> him and I went to, uh, went to, you know, look at cars for as a customer service, service experience. And he's clearly not paying my bills. <laughs> and do you know that not once was I addressed? Every Isn't single car, car person and four dealerships addressed him. And so when I look at, you know, the, the demographics of our industry and how many, um, you know, how many women are in the industry and, and, you know, looking at how going into, or especially, you know, if we, you know, have tattoos, if we have different hair color, if we, if we look intimidating to them in any sort of way, if we don't like their, if we don't look like their traditional client yes. of how, you know, how we're treated, how mm -hmm. we're disregarded and how we're not given the proper education and how a lot of things are actually used as intimidation for us to not be able to ask questions. And so I just think it's time to change all that. I think we deserve better I and we can do better. Saying this, there's someone, I'm not going to say her name on here, but you and I both know her and we both admire her. She's an incredible educator. And um, she, she worked with you at one point and she's really mm -hmm. amazing. We had a, a call the other week and she was talking about some things she's doing inside of her, her salon where she lives and for her team to really bring in additional revenue that's a very untraditional way. And I thought it was so brilliant, but she was telling the story of, she always dreamed of having a six series BMW coupe. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so she went to the dealership and she paid cash money. She would not buy this car until she could pay cash money for it. So she went in and the dealership asked her, what do you do for a living? And she goes, I'm a hairstylist. And his face was just like, are you kidding me? And uh, so I thought that was a beautiful story. And even here where we live, it's the same thing. There's a lot of high level executives that live in my neighborhood. In fact, the CFO of Starbucks is moving in literally like in view of my here. 
And um, there's a lot of athletes. And it's funny when people ask, what do we do? I look at my husband and I'm like, well, he's retired. He retired at 40 as a hairdresser. And I still do hair. And they just kind of look at us and I want, you know, I kind of want to laugh and be like, and no, nothing was handed to us. Um, But it is funny when you, when you plan and you save and you hustle and you work and you sacrifice, you know, I think that's Mm -hmm. the thing that people might not be willing to sacrifice. And, and I've joked about this many times in my classes, I'll see these young ladies walk into uh, the venue, wherever I'm speaking and they got their Louis Vuittons that are monogrammed and their Goyard bags and their Hermes and what their Chanel glasses and their big Gucci belts. And I'm like, that's cute. You look amazing. But if you're carrying a $3,000 bag and you've got $400 in the bank, you didn't mm-hmm. throw that bag. You need to go yeah. to Target and buy a seasonal bag and have money. <laughs> I would rather <laughs> be rich than look rich. Right. Well, I think that's, you know, and that's part of the conversation too, you know, that's happening very much now more than it was before is I think, you know, 2020 also taught us what are the necessities that we really need and what are the wants that we can live without. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, um, you know, I'm, listen, if you really want something, you work hard for it, get it. But I think one of the reasons, you know, one of the things that we look at when we, you know, look at budgets, when we look at, you know, daily spend, when we look at weekly spend is, you know, there's things called needs, right? Your basic needs for survival, for, you know, paying our bills, for the things that we physically need. And then there's wants. And, you know, when you look at your monthly spend is track, track, see how many things, what, what you're spending on that's actually need, what you're spending on that's a want. And more importantly, I think for so many of us, I know for myself, for many a year, it was the wants turned into waste. And so when you look at, you know, when you look at some, you know, midnight shopping, right, I think we've all been guilty of that, especially probably during the last several months of, you know, something shows up on your doorstep and you bought it into, you know, you bought it at a midnight you know, Amazon spree or because an Instagram influencer was, you you know, wearing it and looked so cute on them. And, it, you know, it sits in the back of your closet for, you know, until you donate it, right? right? There's so much of our lives that becomes a waste. And when you look at how much money we actually freely give away and how hard we have to work for it, I just think we can all do a little bit better. So if you really want that cup of morning coffee, by all means have it, but make sure that you're enjoying it and make sure that you're making conscious decisions on where your money is going. Because God, we work really hard for it, guys. We, we deserve to pay ourselves first. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. You're so amazing. Um, so you. do you feel that one of the fears around money is scarcity? Well, I think it's scarcity. And I think scarcity, uh, you know, the fear of money, the fear of scarcity, the poverty mindset and the shame around credit card debt mm. are so closely tied together because, you know, the reality is, is especially because so many of us didn't come from, you know, from, from, you know, place of, of family wealth. I mean, some of us did, but for the most part, I think, you know, when you look, when you speak about, you know, seven out of 10 of us or eight out of 10 of us really have had to work very hard for everything that we have. And, you know, it feels good to be able to look a certain way. It feels good to be able to carry a certain bag. It feels good. It's a, you know, a little bit of, a, I've arrived, I've made it. I've just, I've worked hard for this and I've earned it. And so, you know, the appearances of this, of, of all of us, right? Sometimes we sacrifice actual well-being. And by well-being, I mean, you know, uh, financial well-being. I mean, you know, emotional well-being, because when we're in debt, it continues to eat at us and it continues to be a very severe stress inducer. We sacrifice our well-being to put outwards appearances like, no, everything's fine. I've got this. 
Yeah. And so I think also, you know, if nothing else, kind of utilize the, the, the gift of, of uh, that awakening of 2020 of, no, I didn't, I couldn't get it right now. I didn't get it. I'm going to get it later. And almost give yourself the okay, give yourself the pass of blaming it on the pandemic that uh, you're going to save some money and you're going to be a bit more choosy with what you spend money on. I think that's so smart. And of course, you know, we all, we all at some point in time have wanted, you know, that, that Louis belt or that Gucci, we we've all done it. We're in the beauty industry. It's what we do. And I remember, and this is so crazy. I, because growing up so poor, when I was still working in the funeral home as an intern living there, making $6 an hour, embalming people all night long, <laughs> um, very glamorous life. I remember going into Nima Marcus. We have a Nima Marcus here in Atlanta. And I remember going in there. I wanted to be like those people so badly. And I remember going into Neiman's and I would go to the kills counter and they sold chapstick there. And I, if I remember correctly, the chapstick after tax was somewhere around $9 and I would buy a tube of chapstick every week <laughs> from that Nima Marcus, just so I could walk around with that silver Nima Marcus bag, pretending that I was one of those people. And uh, now I look back at that 20 years later and I'm like, how silly was that? You know, and how much money would I have in compound interest that had put that money versus chapstick if I was <laughs> <Burks> beeswax? <laughs> so um, anyway, but we all want to belong. I think that's just part of our society here. Um, but when people talk about money, there's so much shame around that. To your point, it's like we're, we're not supposed to talk about money. I remember growing up here in the South and there were certain things you would never speak about and money was one of them. So why do you think people are fearful to talk about money? Well, so many reasons, right? I mean, think of why, you know, when, when somebody asks you about money, what are some of the emotions that come up? So much of it is, you know, your place in the world. It's an, it's a measure of success. It's a, for, you know, for some of us, it's a measure of, you know, how we value ourselves or how we measure, how we value our, our success and, you know, and what we've been able to achieve. And then for so many of us, especially, you know, if we are in a scarcity survival mindset, it brings up, you know, fight, fight or flight response, quite honestly. And so it's then associated with guilt and shame. And if we're not able to, you know, if we don't, if we're not where we think we should have been, then there's so many different emotions that come up for us. And so, you know, especially when we, you know, really think about, you know, clearing our debts and, you know, having edu educational conversations around money, you know, one of the things that, you know, you know, I like to say is we're unique in many, many ways right? We're unique in many, many ways. Our shame, our fears, our, um, you know, our hesitations are unique to us. This is something that we collectively experience. And so, you know, the only way to move forward is to be able to have conversations. And when it comes to finances and, you know, what help you need and what decisions are, you know, best for you personally, I think getting getting out of your own way and being able to know, know what questions to ask and uh, know what resources are available and how to ask for help is like the first most important step. And so just know that if you're feeling like, oh, I don't know, this is overwhelming, this is confusing, just know that everyone else around you feels the same way. And I think collectively, if we acknowledge that, um, and if we acknowledge that as an industry, we can do better and that we can be financially healthier, um, we can only go up from there. Wow, that is so powerful. Now, let me ask your personal opinion. Do you feel that money is something that we should talk about just so that we can educate our children? And, and maybe, you know, here's an example. So I, I didn't know how to manage money. I was making a lot of money, but didn't know what to do mm -hmm. with it. So 
I actually started talking to two or three of my customers that I really felt safe with. And Mm -hmm. we had such a a close relationship, a dynamic that I felt very comfortable and they told me what to do. And that was very sound advice. So do you think that we should be able to have conversations around money if done appropriately? I think if done appropriately is the key word. Short answer is absolutely. I think, you know, knowing the, you know, when talking about money and when choosing who to talk about money to, I think the, you know, the, our intention, our intention for that money and our intention with that person are the two most front things that we need to keep in mind. Because, you know, some people like to talk about how much money they have. And, you know, if you're, if you're a person that likes to brag, then, you know, don't talk about money so much. <laughs> if you're someone that's like, no, I really need help with this and I don't know where to invest. Where, where to invest. And I don't know how to make sure that I'm financially protected and that I'm set up for success. Yes, it's absolutely great to talk about money. You know, the only way we're going to move forward is for us to be able to have those conversations that are open and honest. And uh, that, we, that way we can really help each other. As quite honestly, we don't talk about it enough and look where we are. I agree. You know, and if anything, if anything, 2020 should have taught any of us is that history does repeat itself. And the reason that the universe keeps giving us or God keeps giving us these lessons over and over and over, whether it's financial or cultural or social, is because we haven't learned, you know, and so I try every day to consciously ask myself, what am I to learn from this? What am I to learn from this? So, you know, as stylists, we have multiple in one of the classes, and I wanted to ask you formally here, would you ever be interested in doing a collaboration class with me on on money uh, and finance. I would love that. I thought you'd never ask. I would love Yay. that, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, it'll be amazing. But, you know, I've got six buckets carved out here, but I'm not going to give the six away because I want to talk about the six buckets on the day that you and I do a class together. Mm-hmm. But stylist or our beauty professional income buckets, as I would like to say here, is we have we have six, but I'm only going to talk about three. And mm-hmm. number one is your service dollar. You know, if your customer is coming in and you know that you can provide a, an upgraded value experience, not, not being creepy or salesy and giving them something they don't need, but really offering them something that will enhance their experience. There's service dollar. There's the retail commissions, the retail mm-hmm. dollars. Granted, it's not a ton of money, but it's still additional money. And when you talk mm-hmm. about that compound interest, it really adds up. And then the third bucket that I want to talk about is gratuity. All that money that you're getting on your Venmo or maybe in cash or check, are you claiming that money? Are you really adding that in? Because I could tell you for me personally, that additional revenue, uh, that stream of revenue from gratuity mm-hmm. has allowed me to, to secure lower interest rates on homes or home purchases, mm-hmm. second home purchases, because I show higher level of earning. And the bank really does like to see all of revenue counted there. So um, when you and I play together, I want to share the six. There's three other buckets that maybe a lot of people have never even thought about before. So we're going to wrap this up. You've been so incredible. Are there any closing thoughts that you would like to leave with any of the listeners today? Just thank you for having me. And, you know, when it comes to your financial well-being, you know, you take care of everyone else. Learn to take care of yourself first and learn what do you need to do to pay yourself first, right? 2021 gives us a blank slate in many ways. And so many of the lessons of this year are the fact that we can no longer afford to not think about money and how our money can work for us. And so let's just here's cheers to a better year and for all of us to be <laughs> healthy, wealthy and thriving versus fearful and surviving. And thank you so much for having oh, me on. So good. Thank you for your wisdom and just for all that you do for our industry. 
industry and all that you've done for two decades. You're an incredible human. And I'm going to link Anna's information in the show notes below. If you enjoyed this podcast today, which we certainly hope that you did, please make sure to share it with your friends. If you feel really compelled to do something big, leave us a review and a comment um, or rating. Let us know what you thought about this and screenshot this, share it with your friends. If you know someone is in a situation where they need to do better with their finances or you just want to help them out, please let us help them. Thank you so much, Anna, for all that you do. And I look forward to the next episode with all of you on more than beauty.